We begin in the middle of the story, just like Christmas does in your life. The long foretold event finally comes to pass in the birth of Jesus. Generations have waited for this moment, and with his birth, a new era of hope and healing. You see, the nature of hope is that it is a longing, a longing for the not yet realized. You may not know what Christmas means right now, just like the Magi didn't know exactly what the star meant, only that something important was happening. And still a star leads us to Bethlehem, where the hopes and fears of every year come together. And a child's birth gives us hope for what is possible. So what are you hoping for this Christmas? Maybe you're hoping to find a particular present under the tree or a certain someone around the tree. Are you hoping for a white Christmas or a warm Christmas? <laughs> Maybe after a year of family squabbles and conflict, you're hoping the holidays might just bring everybody together again. Or maybe after a year of hardship and disappointment, you're hoping that Christmas might bring some joy back to your soul. Maybe you're hoping that this will be the Christmas that someone you love will open their heart to the Lord. Hope is one of the feelings we typically associate with Christmas, along with love and joy and peace. It turns out those are the four themes of Advent. Hope, love, joy, and peace. And the Advent wreath tells us that the, the first feeling of Christmas is hope. That's the candle we light on the first Sunday of Advent. It's called the prophet's candle, and it symbolizes hope. The next one is, is called the shepherd's candle. It symbolizes love. I'm sorry, the Bethlehem candle signifies love. Then the third is the shepherd's candle, signifies joy. And then the fourth is the angel's candle, and it signifies peace. Now, it took me 30 years of ministry to finally get that straight, so I hope you're impressed, okay? And I still almost got it wrong, but anyway, that's what they stand for. So we put our heads together several months ago, the teaching team here at Grace, and we, we asked ourselves, which of those themes seems most relevant for Christmas 2018? What does the world need most right now? And we pretty quickly settled on hope. To be honest, I think joy seemed like too much of a reach, so we settled for hope. Hope to the world. But what is hope exactly, and why is it so important? Well, the dictionary tells us that hope is a feeling of expectation or desire. That's wanting something to happen and thinking it could happen. Hope is a wonderful thing. Hope is, is like oxygen to the soul. Where there's life, there's hope, the philosopher once said. But you can actually turn it around the other way, too, and say, where there's hope, there's life, because hope can keep you going. Uh, but hope could be one of those things that's better felt than telt. So let's go to the poet, Emily Dickinson, who famously said that hope is the thing with feathers that perches in the soul and sings the tune without the words and never stops at all. She's telling us that hope is like a songbird, chirping a happy tune no matter what the weather, 
cheering the hearts of whoever happened to be passing by, prompting us to pause and look upward for just a moment and imagine a better day. Now, hope is a wonderful thing. But the truth is, we've got a lot of reasons not to feel very hopeful right now. The economy seems to be good, but the stock market is all over the place, and investors seem skittish. We thought we had a deal with North Korea. Turns out they've been building missiles secretly all along. This week's report on climate change tells us that we could be in real trouble by the middle of the century. And for the first time, maybe ever, a generation of parents are afraid that their kids won't have it better than they had it. And talk about reasons not to feel hopeful. Are we ever going to see the sun for more than two days in a row around here? <laughs> and on a personal level, many of us may be finding it hard to feel hopeful right now. I mean, maybe you're looking back on a painful past. After a lot of disappointments, after the damage that's been done, you're having a hard time hearing that songbird sing. Or maybe your present circumstances are just so difficult, so discouraging, you, you can't even find the energy to look up and think of something better. Or it could be that it's the future itself that scares you. It's so frightening, so uncertain that you don't even want to look ahead. I mean, maybe this is as good as it's going to get. The hope is a wonderful thing. But without reasons, hope is just wishful thinking. It's just a flighty songbird that could take off and fly away any minute. So why do we have reasons to be hopeful on this first Sunday of Advent, 2018? Why does Christmas give us reasons to hope? That's what we'd like to think about together for a few minutes today as we get our series and this season started here at Grace. And since we light the prophet's candle today, let's go to one of the prophets, to a familiar passage that practically sings to us. Isaiah chapter 40. Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Now, some of us can't hear those words without hearing a tenor voice singing the opening recitative of Handel's Messiah. This is a song of hope. Isaiah is writing to a people in exile. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's anticipating a time when the people of Israel will be taken captive by their enemies, when they will be uprooted from their homeland and relocated to the pagan land of Babylon. And it happened because of their sin. Because in a time of distress, they turned away from trusting God and decided instead to trust idols, things made of silver and gold and wood. And they decided to uh, cast their lot with other nations instead of trusting God. And so God let them go. And that's what he does with us, right? He, he, if, if we insist on going our own way, he lets us go. And predictably, it ended in humiliation and defeat. 
They were conquered by the nation of Babylon, marched hundreds of miles across the desert to a strange land. The once proud nation of Israel became a laughing stock to the surrounding people. The holy city became a, a ruin inhabited by jackals and hyenas. The once fertile fields just turned to weeds. They had no temple. They could offer no sacrifices. They could make no pilgrimage. It was a national spiritual disaster. And there was no reason to believe they would ever make it back home again until they heard these words from the prophet Isaiah. Until they heard the song of hope wafting over the land. Imagine them for a moment unrolling the scroll of Isaiah there in that foreign land of Babylon. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Did you hear that? Comfort, he says, not condemnation. And did you hear what he called us? My people. He, he still wants to be our God. We're still his people. Even here in this pagan land. Speak tenderly, he said. He's not angry. He still cares. He still feels for us. Proclaim to her that our hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for. Did you hear that? He wants us back. Even after all that's happened, even after all that's done, he's ready to forgive us. He's ready to, to bring us home again. Have you ever, I'm sure you have, had a, a falling out with someone? Uh, someone you love, a spouse, a friend, a family member. I mean a bad one. I mean harsh words and hurt feelings. And it's, it was so hurtful. And you're feeling so bad about it, you're, you're almost afraid to see the person again. Are they still angry? Are they going to give you the cold shoulder? Will they let you have it? Is that the end of your relationship? And then suddenly you see them, and to your surprise, you find out they're not mad. That, that they're actually ready to forgive. That they want to put it all behind them and go forward again. It's such a relief. And that's how the people of Israel felt when they read these words. It gave them hope. Hope that in spite of all that had happened, in spite of all that had been done, all they had done, the relationship with God could be restored. That they could enjoy the Lord's favor once again. That their past could be redeemed. Now Isaiah didn't know it, but he was talking about Christmas. 700 years before it would happen, but even then he was looking forward to the day when God would send his son to rescue his people, not just from Babylon, but to rescue them from sin. By sending his son to die and to, to take on himself the, 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 the penalty and the consequence of our sin, to, to bring an end to that sacrificial system by being the final sacrifice. Now, it wasn't going to happen for another 700 years. But on the basis of what Christ was going to do, God was ready to forgive his people even then and there in Babylon. He was ready to take them back, ready to restore them to himself, and even to bring them back home again. And that's what hope does for us. It rescues us from a painful past. Hope rescues us from a painful past. Whatever we've done, 
whatever has been done to us doesn't have to define us. It doesn't have to determine our future. A painful childhood, a rebellious youth, a failed marriage, a failed business, a miscarriage, a moral failure, falling out with a friend or family member, a bad church experience, a dark night of the soul. Hope means that those things are not the end of the story, that something can be done. Things can be forgiven. They can be healed. They can be helped. They can be restored. They can be redeemed. We can laugh and love and believe again someday. That's what hope means. And Christmas reminds us of that. Because Christmas reminds us that God sent his son into the world to rescue us, to be with us and to be for us, to show us what life could look like, to die for all of our sins and failures, to take all of the world's evil and injustice upon himself, and then to rise from the dead, to set us free from those things so we could be forgiven. Christmas reminds us of all that. So you want a reason to hope this Christmas? I'll give you one. Christ has come. Christ has come. And a couple thousand years of history and millions of lives will testify to that truth. It changed the course of human history. And it can change the course of your life as well and of this world we're living in right now. Christmas gives us hope because it reminds us that our past can be redeemed. But that's only the first verse of this song. Let's go to the second stanza. A voice of one calling, In the desert prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all mankind will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Remember now, the people are, are hearing and reading these words in exile separated from their homeland by hundreds and hundreds of miles of barren desert. And so what does Isaiah promise them? A highway, an interstate. And where will it take them? Home. It's going to take them home. Have you ever driven west on Route 80? I mean way west. I have, as far as Rock Springs, Wyoming, anyway, which, by the way, is where I got my first speeding ticket, but that's a whole other story, okay? <laughs> I was young then. It's a long way. Route 80 just cuts its way right across the country. It spans that, that great Delaware water gap, cuts right through the granite hills of Pennsylvania, plows a straight path across the Great Plains, wends its way through the Rockies. It will take you from New York to San Francisco. All you have to do is put the car in drive and head west. That's it. And that's what Isaiah was promising his people. A highway 
from Babylon to Jerusalem. 900 miles, give or take. Now, they weren't going to drive it, and there would be no cracker barrels. <laughs> okay, they were going to make this journey by foot every step of the way. But God was going to make a way. Without bulldozers and dynamite, he was going to make a path that was safe and flat and relatively straight. See, Isaiah was predicting that one day the Lord was going to come and he would lead them across the desert back into their homeland. And 70 years after arriving in Babylon, that's exactly what happened. Under the leadership of Ezra the scribe and with the permission of Cyrus, king of Persia, the people made their way back across that desert. They, they, they rebuilt the walls of the city. They restored the temple. They replanted their fields and they worshiped God just as they had done before. And all the people and all the nations recognized that there was a God in Israel, a God who keeps his promises. And these words gave them hope, hope that the future could be better than the past or even the present, that God still had a purpose, he still had a place, and it would come to pass. And that's what hope does for us. Hope points us to a preferable future. It points us to a preferred future. It lifts our eyes from our present circumstances and enables us for a few moments anyway to imagine a better day. Now Isaiah didn't know it, but he was talking about Christmas. He was talking about John the baptizer coming out of the wilderness and saying, prepare the way of the Lord. He's going to come change the landscape, the baptizer said. He's going to put right everything that's wrong with this world. Isaiah didn't know it, but he was talking about Jesus coming out of Galilee to proclaim good news to the poor and recovery of sight to the blind and, and healing for the lame and, and freedom for the captives and shalom to the whole world. By word and deed, Jesus would demonstrate that the year of the Lord's favor had come, that the kingdom of God was here, that it had begun to grow, that it would continue growing until that day when he returned to bring it in all of its fullness. You want a reason to hope this Christmas? I'll give you one. Christ will come again. Surely as he came once, he will come again. He'll come and bring peace to the nations and justice to all people, and flourishing everywhere on this planet. And all the things that are wrong with this world, violence, and racism, and injustice, and oppression, and corruption, and pollution, and hate, and fear, and anger, all that's wrong with this world will be put right one day. That he'll even raise the dead to life and reunite us with those we have lost in Christ. He will do that. What Jesus did for a handful of people in the hills of Galilee, he will someday do for everyone everywhere. That's a promise. And we know from history and experience that God keeps his promises. Christmas gives us hope because it points us to a preferable future. So all of this must have been music to the ears of those exiles living in that faraway land. 
comfort, forgiveness, a way home again, the past forgiven, the future secure. But when? And how? And what were they supposed to do in the meantime? I mean, as nice as this song was, as promising as these words were, they didn't change the fact that, that they were strangers living in a strange land and in a difficult land, thousands of miles away from home with no temple and no army and no way out. Life was hard and so was faith. How were they supposed to keep on hoping, keep on believing after so many years had passed, after home seemed farther and farther and farther away? The people groaned under the weight of it, and doubt began to rise in their hearts. And it happens to us, too. It's been a long time since that baby was born in a stable. For 2,000 years, we've been saying and singing, Come, thou long-expected Jesus. That's a long time to expect something. Now, sure, the kingdom has grown in that time. The gospel has spread. Good things have been done. But this world is still a mess. I mean, the needs of the world are overwhelming. And, and our own lives are incredibly challenging. Life is hard. Faith is hard. And we feel like exiles of time, like strangers in a strange land. We've all had our share of disappointment and difficulty. And doubt begins to rise in our hearts, too. Has God forgotten us? Has he forgotten his promises? Do we have a reason to keep on believing? Unfortunately, well, the song's not over. There's one more stanza. Actually, there's about 20 stanzas, but I'm skipping the middle ones. I'm going to go to the last one, okay? Verse 27. Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. He's the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. Isaiah reminds the people, and he reminds us, that God is not like us. He's not bound by space or time. He doesn't get tired. He doesn't get distracted. He doesn't lose interest. He doesn't give up on people. He's not only strong enough, to handle what's happening. He's strong enough to make us strong. Let's keep reading. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. There's that word, hope. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. Now, how did we define it earlier? Well, we said it's, it's a feeling of expectation or desire, wanting something to happen and thinking it could happen. Now, that all sounds wonderful, but the problem with those definitions is that they are all tinged with uncertainty. Hope, as it's presently defined, is a nice feeling, but it's not a fact. There's a desire, but there's nothing definite about it. It's wanting something to happen and thinking it could happen, but not knowing if it actually will happen. So in the end, 
Earthly hope is just another word for wishful thinking. Hope I get accepted at the school. Hope I get the job. I hope the loan goes through. Hope we get pregnant. I hope the treatments work. I hope it's a mild winter. I hope the Giants win this afternoon. <laughs> if you know anything about football, that is definitely wishful thinking. But that's about the best that earthly hope can do. Heavenly hope is way better than that. It's way stronger than that. Biblical hope isn't just about desire. It's about confidence. It's not just a feeling that something could happen. It's the fact that something did happen and the world's never been the same. It's knowing something good is going to happen. In fact, that word that we translate hope here in Isaiah 40, it could also be translated wait. In fact, that's how some of us probably memorize it way back in the King James Version, those who wait upon the Lord. And there's a difference between hoping for something and waiting for something. See, in earthly terms, we hope for things we aren't certain of, but we wait for things we know will happen. Now think about it this way. Do we hope that Christmas will come each year, or do we wait for it? Was there ever any doubt that Christmas would come in 2018? Was there some possibility that people would forget it's Christmas? <laughs> that the stores would not have sales? <laughs> that schools would forget to close? I don't think so. We don't. We don't hope for Christmas to come. We wait for Christmas to come because we know that it will, because it has before. And that's the biblical notion of hope. Heavenly hope isn't wishful thinking. It is watchful waiting. It is the confident expectation that God will come through, that he will keep his promises. Now, he hasn't promised health and wealth and success, but he has promised to be with us and to be for us. He has promised to finish what he's begun. He has promised to carry on to completion the good work he's begun in us. He has promised to accomplish his purpose. He has promised to work all things together in ways that are good for us and good for the world. He's promised that. And that kind of hope enables us to soar on wings like eagles. Isn't it interesting? Isaiah chose the strongest bird he could think of to symbolize hope. Hope, he says, is like gliding over the rugged terrain, riding the thermals as they rise. That's what hope is like. Hope, he says, is like running and not growing weary. Long-distance runners will tell you that something happens three or four miles into a race. You find your groove. You hit your stride. And you feel like you could run forever. Bring it on. That's what hope is like. And sometimes hope is, is like walking and not fainting. I think of refugees making their way across a barren land, across the desert, across a wilderness, across a jungle. 
putting one foot in front of the other, believing that there's a better life and a better place ahead. It takes hope to walk like that. Now, Isaiah didn't know it, but he was talking about Christmas. He was talking about the Christ who came to us on that first Christmas, who will come again to finish what he's begun, and who in the meantime is walking with us, even to the very end of the age. You want a reason to hope this Christmas? I'll give you three. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Amen. Christ has died to rescue us from our painful past. Christ is risen to walk with us in all the experiences of life. Christ will come again to put right everything that is wrong with this world. Now in the weeks to come, we're going to be exploring each one of these themes. So if you happen to be struggling with your past or your present or your future, or you know someone who is, I invite you to come back these weeks of Advent and Christmas Eve. Bring someone with you. Today, I simply want us to hear this song of hope. I want it to lift our spirits. I want it to strengthen our step. I don't know what challenges or hardships you may be facing in life right now. I don't know if this is a season of soaring for you or a season of running or a season of putting one foot in front of the other and walking. But I do know this. The risen Christ is soaring or running or walking with you and for you. And with Christ beside you, you can handle anything knowing that your past is taken care of, your future is secure, and your present is in the hands of the everlasting God who does not grow weary or faint and whose understanding no one can fathom. So with apologies to Emily Dickinson, heavenly hope is not like a flighty songbird. It's like a mighty eagle riding the wind of God's Spirit. It's like a marathon runner hitting her stride in the middle miles of a race. It's like a determined refugee making their way across a barren land to a better and brighter future. So on this first Sunday of Advent, we light the prophet's candle and we say, hope, hope to the world, the Lord has come. Let's pray. Lord, we celebrate this good news. We thank you for it. We need it on this cold and rainy Sunday. As we head into this season full of promise and challenge, of joy and uncertainty, we thank you that we head into it with each other and most importantly with you. Thank you for these words of hope. We pray that you might Bring hope to whoever might be discouraged here today, whoever might be doubting. Pray that you would lift their spirits and ours, and we pray that you would fill us with so much hope that it overflows to the lives of those we run into and bump into over the course of these next weeks. We invite you to speak to our past, our present, and future in this season of the year. We thank you for the promise of it. We thank you for the opportunity we have now to think on these things as we gather together around your table. Meet us here in these next moments, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.